G'day and thank you for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. We are in a season of prayer and fasting as a church. We have 25 days where we're having a morning prayer meeting every day. We're also encouraging people to consider what they will say no to in order to say a bigger yes to Jesus in this season. So some are fasting from food, others are fasting uh, social media and TV and other bits and pieces. But the purpose is that we want to clear some clutter away from our lives. We want to free ourselves up in order to be able to hear God more clearly, but also to be able to obey Him more fully. And I encourage you to consider what you might do in joining with us. So our prayer meetings are uh, at the church every morning from 7am, but also available to to tune in uh, via Zoom. And we are pressing into the things of the Holy Spirit. We are leading up to a, a camp at the end of October, we are looking forward to meeting together uh, with that sense of expectation for what God is going to do in us and then through us. And I hope that you find this message encouraging as we continue to push into the things of the Spirit. God bless you. We are just about to read from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. And today, we will look at perhaps the most influential Christian in all of history. In fact, he was there when Christians were first given that title of Christian. Christian means little Christ, and that was a derogatory term. And the passage that we will look at uses terms like disciples. In fact, that's the most common term that we see. Followers of the way and family language like brothers and sisters. As this occurs before that word Christian was coined. I have a simple message today, and I hope that it refreshes and encourages you. Here is my focus. God is at work in your life and in the lives of those around you. Let's read Acts chapter 9, starting from verse 1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he travelled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days, and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. 
Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on the name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were not sorry, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and that the Lord had talked to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Let's pray as we seek to understand. Father, would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts? May we understand what it is that you want to communicate to us. Thank you for what we have just read. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We ask, Lord, that we would see clearly what you would have us see and we would put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this story from the perspective of Ananias. Ananias was a believer who lived in Damascus. He had heard about what Saul had done in Jerusalem, how he'd overseen the death of Stephen, in fact, in Saul's own words later in life, he said, On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. It was this Saul that Ananias learned was on his way to Damascus to do the same thing there that he had done in Jerusalem, again with the authority of the chief priests. Perhaps Ananias prayed a similar prayer to what the apostles had prayed earlier, which is recorded in Acts chapter 4. Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Maybe he was more specific in praying for Saul, but whatever he prayed, he certainly wasn't expecting what happened next. He had a vision where the Lord Jesus spoke to him. And maybe this was not the first time this had happened because he seems to respond quite calmly to that. He just says, here I am, Lord. But this is my first point, that God speaks to us. He spoke to Ananias just like he speaks to us. But we don't script what God says when he speaks to us. What came next must have been a shock to Ananias. Jesus continues, get up and go to the street called Straight, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus. I wonder if at the mention of Tarsus, Ananias knew where this was heading. Either way, within a second, it was all clear. The Lord confirms a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I wonder if at this point, Ananias started thinking about any other Ananiases that he knew. Uh, maybe I'll send in that guy. And his response to Jesus is essentially, but he has come here to make us suffer and you want me to go to him? To which Jesus responds, Go, for he is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Oh, and by the way, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I wonder how much that last statement played into Ananias' willingness to proceed. Okay, well, if he's going to suffer... Oh, hang on. Uh, does that mean I am the one who's going to have to tell him how much he must suffer? But seriously, it's an interesting introduction. It's clear that Jesus spoke to him on the road, but he's also spoken to him again through a vision about Ananias. And now he's going to show him how much he must suffer. What a way to let someone know that they're going to be working for you to communicate the suffering that they would do. So it's clear that Jesus spoke to Saul. But it's interesting what he spoke to him right from the outset. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. But this leads us into a curious thing that we see as a pattern in Scripture. Even when there are angels involved or the direct word of the Lord, God still works through other people. Jesus speaks directly to Saul, but then Jesus speaks directly to Ananias for the purpose of Ananias being involved in Saul's healing and baptism. He could so easily have just taken care of the whole thing himself, possibly using angels to communicate, but rather he works through Ananias. We see this repeatedly in the scriptures. 
including in the previous and following chapters in Acts. And this is my second point. God works through people. Back in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian official is sitting in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. An angel appears to Philip and tells him to go to a particular road, which happens to be the road where this Ethiopian official is. When Philip gets to that point, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go up to the chariot. Then Philip, on approaching the chariot, hears the Ethiopian official reading Isaiah. And he asks him a question. And the next time that Ethiopian disembarks from the chariot is in order to be baptized in the name of Jesus. In Acts 10, which is the following chapter from what we've just read, Cornelius is praying and he sees an angel. The angel says, go and send for Simon Peter. Meanwhile, Simon Peter has a vision that challenges his understanding of clean and unclean. Then the spirit tells him to go with the men that have come to get him. But it is Peter who preaches the gospel to Cornelius and the others assembled in his house. In fact, it seems it is only as he arrives at this house of Gentiles that he really gets the vision that he had, really understands it. And again, they all get baptized. Do you know there is no biblical account of someone baptizing themselves? (laughs) Not even Jesus baptized himself. There are always other people involved. And Jesus appeared to Saul in a vision but he didn't pick him up and dunk him under the water. Yes, even today, Jesus speaks to others, but he also seeks your involvement. He always works through people. And when there was a job too big for any human to do, he became a human and then did the job. God speaks to us. God uses and works through people. These are really key things. The Apostle Paul. So Saul, as we read about here, is also known as Paul. We find that out a few chapters later and takes that name for the rest of what we read about him. When he introduces himself in the letters that he wrote that we still have, it's always Paul. And after Acts chapter 13, uh, 13, it, it shifts. It's always Paul. But this guy is one of the most famous Christians of all time and perhaps has the most famous conversion story of all time. But I think we often oversimplify things, saying that he went from evil to good. And it's, it's true from a church perspective that he did. Like he went to Damascus in order to reduce the Christian population, but he ends up increasing it. He went to Damascus with a purpose that said, I will make Christians suffer but then changed to actually, I am willing to suffer as a Christian. He went from the most ardent opponent of Christianity to the most effective proponent of it. In Galatians 1, we read a quote from the Christians speaking about Paul. And they said this, He who once persecuted us now preaches the faith he formerly tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. It is an incredible turnaround. But it can also be viewed as the completion of what God has started. In fact, some quotes from Paul would lead us to think this way. At the start of Acts 23, it's recorded that Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. 
He was referring to his former way of life in Judaism as well as his life in Christ. It wasn't that he had no regrets, as he says, I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He also said that he counted it all as rubbish that he may gain Christ. Everything was a loss, including his former way of life. And yet, at the time of his conversion, he didn't see it that way. He was doing what made the most sense. He wasn't feeling lost or uncertain. He was confident that he was doing what God wanted. When he persecuted the church, he believed that he was serving God. And there's a story in Israel's history that gives us more context. It was from during those 40 years in the desert after fleeing slavery in Egypt. Let's read from Psalm 106. They aligned themselves with Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They angered the Lord with their deeds, and a plague broke out against them. But Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. It was credited to him as righteousness throughout all generations to come. This is an interesting phrase. It was credited to him as righteousness. We read that same phrase of Abraham. What did Abraham do? That was credited to him as righteousness he believed god it was his faith we read it in genesis we read it in romans but here is phineas what did he do that was credited to him as righteousness well we're told he stood up and intervened but what does that mean what did he actually do well the israelites were suffering a plague as a result of their disobedience we get that from the start of what we just read in the Psalms. And there's a man who came into their camp, an Israelite man that comes in with a Midianite woman, which was forbidden. He took her into his tent and Phineas followed them in with a spear and drove the spear through both the Israelite man and the Midianite woman. This is what it says from verse 10 of Numbers chapter 25. The Lord spoke to Moses. Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites because he was zealous among them with my zeal, so that I did not destroy the Israelites in my zeal. Therefore, declare, I grant him my covenant of peace. It will be a covenant of perpetual priesthood for him and his future descendants, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So Phineas was zealous for God. He was willing to kill in order to bring purity to God's people. You see, Saul's upbringing instilled this in him. The zeal of Phineas was much celebrated. It was credited to him as righteousness throughout all generations to come. Someone opposed the purity of the Lord and the purity of God's people, and he acted on it. He did something. He stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. For a young Saul, he knew this story. And imagine taking his own opportunity to demonstrate that kind of zeal. And here it was. Here was Saul's opportunity. This sect of the Nazarene, followers of the way, claiming Jesus as the Messiah. This must be stopped and stopped with zeal. Paul's words later on, reflecting on what he was doing at the time. Acts 22 says, I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death arresting and putting both men and women in jail. Galatians 1, 14. 
For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So here he was, zealously protecting the purity of Israel in Jerusalem, on his way to do more of the same in Damascus. Then all of a sudden, Jesus interrupts him. In one sense, it is a dramatic turnaround. Don't get me wrong, but it is also the completion of what had begun. His entire way of life was leading up to this point. He was eagerly awaiting the Messiah and so zealously protecting Israel that he initially missed the Messiah's coming. But God's mercy intervened, or God by his mercy intervened. Saul needed saving. But it wasn't a brand new story that needed writing. There was preparation right along the way and the dots were connected. Jesus made sense of Saul's entire past. One of the most beautiful things about the Christian faith is that nothing is wasted. This is my third point. God wastes nothing. Everything can be used to point us to Christ. Once we come to Christ, we can say with Paul that everything that once was to my prophet, I now consider loss. I consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ. The thing is, it wasn't useless. But now, nothing compares to Christ. There's a beautiful series of books that feature redemptive analogies. These analogies show how God is at work in cultures which seem to be a long way from God. Books like Peace Child and Brushko are amazing in this way, and I recommend them to you. Our Australian culture has this strong spirit of the Anzac, Greater love has no one than this to lay down their life for their mates. Many of you will be aware of what has happened with the Essendon Football Club this past week. Their newly appointed CEO resigned due to an ultimatum he was given. Resign from his church board or resign from his new role with Essendon. It does seem our nation is further from God than ever before, but yet what a great example. How encouraging that Andrew Thornburn was willing to stick to his guns. But what it says to us is that the ideal of inclusion is held so highly in some elements of Australian culture, certainly in our media. And yes, it is a definition of inclusion that frustrates many of us, but it is worth acknowledging what it is and seeking to understand those who take this view and where they're coming from. I think that some have nefarious motives, but others, I would say the majority, simply and sincerely hold this value of inclusion as they understand it. It's interesting to me that Saul, when he'd encountered Jesus and believed, his first sermon was that Jesus was the Son of God. He also went on to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. It's all there, the end of what we read, or the middle even. These things that Saul held dear, the holiness of God, the arrival of the Messiah, had led him to persecute Christians. But now he saw the fulfillment of these things in Christ. O Lord, bring on the revelation to those who champion inclusion, the remarkable, generous inclusion of the grace of God, who opens his arms to any who would repent and believe. 
whatever our social standing, our culture, our gender, sexuality, height, weight, age, all of us are included the same way. Repent and believe. That's it. No preferential treatment. No one is forced, but all are invited. Now in this space, we have people who we know personally and others that we don't, but whose voice impacts upon us and all those dear to us. Regarding the latter, the ones we don't have personal relationship with, as we are exposed to content from people who seem very opposed to the Christian faith, let's pray. Let's pray they would have a soul-like awakening. It could be news from journalists, social media posts, talkback shows, politicians, whatever the source, let's pray. Pray for eyes to be opened, for God to speak to them and to work through others and complete the story that he has started. And for those that we know, your neighbor, your child, your grandchild, your friend, your co-worker, your classmate, whoever it is that does not yet know Jesus has a story. And that story has been preparing them for Jesus. He is the ultimate fulfillment of every story. He's already at work. Lord, what's the connecting point? How does this person's area of passion point them to you? love for you just to spend a moment and to reflect on a couple of things have a think have a pray pray for those that you have on your heart someone you know someone who has influence and pray for this person knowing that God speaks to us God works through people and God wastes nothing God is at work in your life and the lives of those around you. It's worth putting ourselves in Ananias' shoes again, just for a moment, and consider the reality that when Jesus spoke to him in that vision, he had already spoken to Saul. Like, for Ananias, in that moment, when there was this dread, perhaps, or anticipation of what Saul was going to do in Damascus, but to know that Jesus had already actually spoken to Saul and his conversion was happening. Like for us, as we consider other people who it seems just impossible or improbable that they would come to faith in Jesus, just consider the story of Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, um, and let that just lift your own faith as we have a sense of expectation for what God can and will do in the lives of those around us. Uh, Lord, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you to those, that you speak to those that we could easily think you would never speak to or they would never hear you. But as with Saul, so with others. Speak, Lord. May you be heard. And thank you that you work through me. Thank you that there is this uh, thing on my life to not just oh yeah you'll do it if you want to do it you'll take care of it um, I repent for having that kind of attitude and ask Lord that I would be aware that you want to work through me but you also want to work through others to me would I be open to receive and would I be willing to give um, and Lord may we not live from that place that just laments what we wasted what we have done what we haven't done but rather just Thank you that we get this access to you right here, right now. And for our friends, our family members, people that are on our heart, Lord, thank you that what they will get when they come to you 
just invalidates any sense of waste for what there has been in the in the past. Lord, it is such a absolute, oh, overwhelmingly amazing thing to be in your family and to have the future and the hope that we do in Christ. And I pray that we would enjoy that and I pray that many others would come to enjoy that as well. In Jesus' name, hallelujah and amen.